This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And here we are with another grassroots marketing on CannabisRadio.com. And my next guest here on the program has been fighting the good fight in the medical cannabis industry for years. Despite facing racism and rage as a black grower and dispensary owner, he continues to push forward and provide medicine through his company, Life Enhancement Services, which he serves as CEO, and he is helping to provide medicine for his patients. Let me welcome to the program the CEO of Life Enhancement Services, Hakeem Brown. Hakeem, thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you all for having me. Uh, it's an honor to be on the show uh, and talk about uh, the industry uh, and talk about business. Uh, so, no, I really appreciate you all having me on. So now I recently talked on a well, a couple of different programs we talked, but most notably there'll be an episode of Days and Infuse or it'll be a Blunt Business in which I speak with the host of Days and Infuse, Latham Woodward. He's a business owner in California, runs Sense Distribution, which uh, distributes a number of brands. And we talk about the constant backlash, oppression, the constant uh, abuse of the industry by say law enforcement and government when it comes to taxation, regulatory costs, seizures, you know, various aspects. But then there's another area where there's the discrimination and a level of racism that's out there, systemic injustice. And that's going right. on. Now I want to take a quote that I got from you uh, regarding the whole issue as a whole quote. I think early on police were used to arresting black and brown men for cannabis. And just because suddenly the state changed it in their minds, nothing had changed. Cannabis is only one of the only cases in the U.S. where you're guilty until proven innocent. And that gives law enforcement a lot of leeway to arrest you. I've been arrested multiple times, raided, arrested with my son in the car. All they had to do was look at the paperwork and see we were doing everything illegally, but they couldn't get that into their heads. So you talk about basically there's layers of discrimination right there. Talk to yes. me about that, that personal experience and then, you know, how that hasn't deterred you away from your plight of providing the plant to your patients. So, so basically, I mean, I, I do think that there is a different level of discrimination, uh, as you said. Uh, and yeah, it, it took a while for law enforcement to understand that. And then you wonder whether they still understand it. You know, I mean, my position I'm not dealing with some of the struggles that let's say someone who's still trying to get off the ground may be. But that being said, absolutely. You know, I will never forget a Napa County Sheriff's uh, detective saying, uh, you know, you will have no blacks on your jury. Uh, and your crime really is, we know you're doing it right, but your crime is being black and doing it here in Napa County. You know it, I know it. And so let's be clear about that. And I, and I think that um, and he was right. I think I'll never forget his deputy said, oh, this point, blah, 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 who will be on this jury. And they were absolutely right. Uh, and I think that them knowing the inequality of the justice system right there 
influenced some of, of what they were doing. Uh, but uh, but also them, I think there was uh, until, you know, uh, regulation, there was kind of a cowboyish type of effort where, hey, if we just gather all the evidence, take everything, we'll find something they're doing wrong, and then we'll be able to arrest them and justify our kind of cavalier uh, cowboyish attitude about what's going on. And I do want to shout out, they were absolutely right. I had no people of color on my jury, but I did have some good people and also some cannabis users and, and people who believe in cannabis. And part of that, I would say now, just to give a uh, context of the listeners, Napa County is North of Marin County in San Francisco uh, for those pointing on the map. Now, also, when it comes to the fact that where you saying, you know, it's because of being black, but it's also, I mean, would it also be kind of tied into the fact that it's also where the neighborhood you come from? I mean, even and even so much doesn't matter, no matter how diverse the neighborhood is, if it's a neighborhood that might not be as affluent as other places, anybody right. coming from that neighborhood is going to be targeted. A absolutely. And I think that there is a certain level of classism that exists in America. And I, I would totally agree with you uh, as we're talking about just being able to uh, do business uh, if you don't come from certain areas and certain backgrounds. I'll never forget uh, a person who was running for council at the time, uh, back in the day uh, when we were first trying, we were already open and established dispensaries. And I'll never forget he asked for our IDs and it wasn't just, you know, uh, it was myself, uh, a couple of uh, Hispanic dispensary owners. And uh, after he asked for our IDs, he came back and he would not shake our hand. He said, you guys are all criminals and I'm leaving, you know? And I think that uh, years later after that, you know, when they saw that, hold on, they are, uh, they're politically astute. They know how to raise money. They know how to support yeah. candidates um, that, that kind of uh, mentality changed, but no, I would totally agree with you on that. And the other thing too, is that I think in some cases, when I look at California and New York and I look at certain areas, I'm in South Florida and we have a virtual melting pot here. And yes, there are always things where, you know, there's prejudice and bias racism. That's still apparent, but I don't see it as much. And I think that's another thing that's to be said because of how California does have certain pockets that are much more diverse than others. And as and the state as a whole, I don't know if they just, they really have the, a good grasp of everything going on. And, you know, everybody in the same way, they want to be able to have access to legal cannabis. But when you are trying to go ahead and oppress a certain group of people that are taxpayers as much as anybody else, and they're not able to go and get their hands on it and services like yours. I mean, the one thing you do that I got to give you, I, mean, I must say is that, you know, not only you are active, I mean, it's not as if there's one thing to be said about people that have been oppressed and have been, you know, dealt the blows and have gone through a lot of adversity, but you have kept, you have kept fighting. You are involved and entrenched in the, in the city politics. You're a council member in Vallejo City. You own your own, you're a business owner in the community and you're providing medicine. You're doing everything you need to do to be a pillar. And even with that, you still have the same, there's that same struggle still exists. Yes, it, it does. And I think that uh, I, I might be, you know, so it, it could be a combination of things, you know, whether it's, 
racism, whether it's classism, which you see also in the African-American community. You know, I'll be the first to say that, you know, quite often when I, I, I was not the political establishment in any sense of uh, right. the word, for, even for African-Americans. And they, many of them said, well, he didn't come, he didn't go to this school or that school. He didn't do that. You know, he sells cannabis, you know. And so I, I do think that you have to deal with that stigma as well, but also trying to get people to understand that this is a business. We are business owners. Uh, I take this very seriously. I come from a business background. My parents come from a business background and we are here to do business. Uh, but like you said, I mean, you, you're you dealing with all of these different stigmas and you, you, you oftentimes, whether it's a combination or, or just one or the other, those are some of the things that we have had to deal with. Uh, I, you know, and I, I think that, as you were saying, this, these things can be subtle. And we know, you know, nobody wants to be called uh, out of name, whether it's a racial insult, gender insult. Uh, but I, I would say that what I've learned as a council member is there are worse things than that. And a lot of the discrimination, classism, and, you know, whether businesses succeed or, or a community succeed is tied into the laws and how things are written and what one can do and can't do and where one can do it. Um, and we saw that here in Vallejo and we see it through throughout uh, the country. I think that one of the things that we noticed early on was uh, in Vallejo, a bunch of us opened up and a lot of us who came from, as you said, not just black and brown, but you could tell the people who grew up in this industry, okay, let's say before it became legal and we're already dealing with law enforcement, we were very much uh, aggressively trying to do everything by the book because we right. knew we had right. to, we knew they were coming, okay? It was no doubt, like, if you asked any of us, do you think you're gonna get raided? Absolutely, we're gonna get raided, but we need to be ready. And so we right. definitely right. went out of our way to abide by the law, but I would hear about other dispensaries who were selling other drugs out of there, doing you know a lot of illegal things out of there. And so we just figured when we started to hear that we were being looked at for raids, we said, well, they'll go after some of the bad ones. That's not what happened. They raided, all of the black and brown, everyone who grew up in the industry and were trying to do it right, they raided all of us, left the other ones open, and then said, we're gonna decide through regulation who's gonna be open and the police chief will have the final say. And I remember asking my mom, I said, what do you think about that? And she said, I don't think they're gonna pick you. <laughs> so uh, me and some other dispensary owners got together and we actually passed the first referendum in the history of the city of Vallejo to reverse that law. And I think that that, changed a lot because once the establishment saw that we understood the rules, knew how to play by the rules and knew how to use the same rules that were being applied to us to our advantage, it changed things, but, but the struggle continues. Absolutely. There's, it's just too much there to, it's so much to overcome. And to me as well, you tried to jump in and, you know, look for citizen service politicians and those in the california democratic party to support the effort and also your work in uh, the vallejo chapter of the naacp so you have organizations with a lot of clout a lot of power and to try to go and get some kind of move but there's just i mean talk to me about the level of progress you've seen in the last decade that you've been in because even when you were part you know you were part of more into that political circle and now it's more focusing on your dispensary right the thing is that i feel like there's there's a constant thing with politicians and it doesn't matter what side of the aisle there's a wage gap that's continued to be built up more and more middle class going away it's got to be one way or the other opposition versus privilege 
That's the class system we've been talking about. And, you know, they really don't care who takes on that bottom part, but they want it to be a small minority of a lot and a large majority of the few. They want it to be that way. And to try to keep that from happening is a struggle. But, I mean, do you see, like, there's anyone, right? I mean, who's really doing the, the best right now to support what you want to do individually from a bigger level? Who is there that's actually making the most difference? That, that's a good question, man. And, and as, as your name speaks to, I think it's a, a definitely a grassroots level. We actually, I remember we had a recent council meeting and um, one of these things, it came up, but it's come up in the past. And, and, and one of the things that comes up is, let's say you want to, you know, whatever you're doing in the community, you want to create economic development, you want to create housing, blah, blah, blah. But the people who come and are maybe against something are really people who have the time, money, uh, effort to actually show up. Working class people don't have time to show up to city council. You know, uh, yeah. let's just keep it real. You know, my parents, you know, worked all day, came home, fixed me dinner and went to sleep, you know. And, and so I think that the system kind of perpetuates that if you have the time to get involved, it's not going to be diverse from any stretch. Of, you know, it's not going to right. be diverse in, in race. It's not going to be diverse in class and occupations any of that. You don't see enough of that. And so you really get where the system was designed for everyone to weigh in. You're really getting a certain few to weigh in. And then council, especially when they're politically active, well, now council gets scared. Well, we can't do this because, hey, the, these people over here are going to speak up. So let's just put it over here where they want. And I think that um, I did not grow up wanting to be a politician, get involved in politics. I was the exact opposite. Um, I was one of those people who felt disenfranchised, like my vote doesn't count. I didn't really think, you know, see anything that would cause me to want to get involved in the democratic process whatsoever. Um, a good friend of mine uh, in, uh, he wouldn't mind if I mentioned his name, a good friend of mine, Morgan Hannigan, actually mm -hmm. uh, owed him a favor. And he said, hey man, uh, can you, uh, we'd, I'd like you to consider running for, to be a delegate, a delegate in the democratic party and so i said eh, that's not for me i definitely don't like speaking i've come from a cannabis and a grower's background who's who's been through the the fire and so no i am not really interested in kind of popping up being seen you know doing any of that stuff now don't like talking in front of people but i remember the due date was like midnight and uh I just told him, hey, man, I'll apply, you know, that night I was like, ah, I told him, you know, I owed him a favor, I'll apply, and I applied, uh, and I remember a, a advocacy group reached out to me and said, you know, we're glad that you're running, we're interested in hearing, we know that you're a cannabis dispensary owner, and so hearing about some of what their issues were when it comes to working people and working families, and saying, oh, well, maybe I can make a difference, and just trying to speak from the heart, and uh I remember getting in front of, uh, did not know I'd have to speak in front of people, which was a bit of a surprise. If I would have known that first time that I would have to speak into a large group of audience and kind of old school democratic voting, I probably <clears> wouldn't <throat> have done it. But, you know, once you're in, you're in. And I just spoke from the heart, man. And I think that it resonated with a lot of people because I'm not a politician. And, you know, my parents and my grandfather raised me to definitely speak the truth and, and speak what I'm seeing as a community member, as a black man, as a business owner, frustrated with lack of right. um, movement. And so I think that that carried me on to a couple of elections and getting on council and saying, okay, where can we actually create 
positive change. And I think that I do see a need that we need business owners involved because number one, how does one understand how to run a business? And I think that how does one understand how, if we don't have economic development, how it relates to uh, the communities and the families that grew up there uh, and the quality of life that exists there. And so I have not seen enough movement. I, I will say I my biggest was concern was maybe the public sector. That has not been the case. I think the public sector keeps up with their citizens like us. So they're keeping up with what's going on. They're ready and willing to create and let's do something different. Let's move in a different direction. But the rest of the system, whether it's council, whether it's those, the the very small few who want to influence, but really don't make up uh, the, the larger body of citizens. And so I have not seen enough progress. And that's really why I think for me, I feel like I've done my best on council. Uh, I've learned a lot, and I, but I see me making more of a difference from a private sector and really continuing to build the uh, youth work that we do with uh, Coma Cares and uh, also doing, uh, you know, working on creating scholarships. We give out a number of scholarships every year to uh, young students who would not be able to go to school without those and really continue to expand on that and youth programs because I would agree across the board, I've been very dissatisfied and learned a lot, I think, you know, uh, you know, from a Democratic Party standpoint, okay, they talk the talk, but I don't see where are the programs at, uh, where's the economic development at, and where's the where's the movement on cannabis at? Quite frankly, um, and now it's become a money game, and and you know, once it's a money game, well, it's over. So. Now I want to take a little bit out of what you said earlier because what Morgan did for you, your 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 compadre Morgan Hannigan, what he did for you was what I always talk about here on, on here on one business on the grand source marketing. When we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, having a seat at the table, representation cannot be from the outside as a citizen. You have to be entrenched. People of, of that are that understand the community they come they come from, where they were raised, what their what their what their the people that you're serving they have to you have to be able to connect with them. The right people that work in politics are the ones that are directly connected and have an understanding, and they have not. Swayed away from the needs of the the public that brought them in and, and appointed them or elected them to office. If right. that's kept in board and the right amount of people that represent the black community come in, then the the what is needed for the community in terms of programs, in terms of opportunities, will be met. And that's what you're doing right now. Even from the local level, it's important. So having not just where Morgan came in first bringing you into the fold, even though, and that's the other thing I think this too, is that, you know, it's just like we, when I talked to, uh, was it? it was Gene Sullivan, who was with the Art View Group, we talked about women in leadership, that women in leadership, there would be more if they spoke up more. If there's meetings going on and they spoke up to be the CEO, they went after and sought after higher executive levels. It's the fact that you have to make yourself in a position of power to give back and then pay it forward and bring more people in. Once you're in the system, more people come in. That's how it has to work. That's the only way really real change can be made. I, I agree. And I think that uh, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I think that um, for me, one of, one of the things my lawyer once told me was, uh, and it's so true, either you're at the table or you're on the menu. Right. 
<laughs> and it's Perfect. just, you know, and that applies at every single level. I think that uh, that applies, you know, when it comes to African-Americans dealing with other African-Americans. And that's something that does not get talked about. Like, oh, you see an African-American. Well, he's representing African-Americans. Well, are they? Are they representing African-Americans or someone? Well, that's a woman. Well, she's representing. Are they? Let's check out who are they actually representing? Uh, because even, you know, in the Black community, I see, well, how many people come from the hood? Not many. And so when I talk to a lot of politicians, you know, who are African-American, they come from affluent backgrounds. So yeah, they can kind of think about what's needed in these areas, but do they really know? Uh, and that's across the board, you know, uh, how many people come from the actual community and, and not seeing enough of that. And I think that if we saw more of that, I think we would see more uh, actual change. But if we're constantly seeing a, a constant spinning from the, the cream of the crop, quote unquote, then I think that we'll constantly see these same results. And I don't think it needs to be that way. I think that, uh, you know, shout out to Morgan Hanna again. Also shout out to President Jimmy Jackson, the NAACP, people who at an early age or early in my political career really pushed me to say, you know what, uh, forget the stigmatisms. We actually see something in this, this person and people being able to say, you know what? No, he didn't go to Howard or to any two, uh, you know, any of these schools that you're supposed to go to or, or come from these backgrounds, but he can govern, you know? And I think that that for any American uh, in this community say, man, we can govern, you know, the average American citizen, if you give us the opportunity we can govern, we can make a change, and we're going to actually bring something that, you know, to me, you know, people say, oh, it's refreshing. It's not that refreshing. I'm just speaking what people are talking about every day on the streets. Yeah. So let's go to wrap things up real quick. I'm here again with Hakeem Brown with Life Enhancement Services and also a uh, former mayor, mayoral candidate for the city of Vallejo, California. And, but your uh, dispensary's Life Enhancement Services is located in Valle uh, Vallejo, California, and a lot of services provided. So Real quickly, if you want to just take a minute to go and talk to our listeners about the best way to keep in touch with what you're doing and what you're doing there in California. Yes, thank you. And and you said it right, uh, Vallejo or Vallejo, same thing. Uh, Vallejo is would be the, yeah, but I know yeah, it's just Vallejo. It's like, that's the California thing. That's California. Yeah, I say <laughs> Right. Um, but but I, I would just say thank you uh, for uh, allowing me to speak and giving uh, those sure. who have a voice a voice uh, to speak. I uh, really appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you uh, just for listening to a little bit of my story because, uh, you know, I don't think that my story is unique, but it's, it's an American story like all of our stories are American. Uh, you can keep up with us on our website at acoma.love. Uh, I think some of the things that we are going to be expanding into is cultivation and really promoting our brand and being uh, one of the very few African-American-owned major commercial uh, growers and, and brands out there, as well as expanding uh, our dispensary and, and, you know, building more dispensaries and, and trying to provide that kind of unique experience that we have coming from Northern California, uh, you know, kind of the heart of, uh, you know, cannabis culture, as we would say, as the wine, you know, Napa Valley is to uh, wine, I would say that kind of the Bay Area and NorCal is to cannabis. So absolutely. Thank you. And I really appreciate it. It's interesting that we know of all the issues that are going on in California for business owners in general, but it's another level with the kind of things that you've had to deal with. And for those that are, you know, of a different ethnicity, race, creed, culture, what have you, 
and to deal with the kind of issues, uh, just mounting on top of everything else that business owners have to deal with. It's a, a large plight, and I really appreciate you taking time out to go ahead and share your story with us. Thanks again, Hakeem, for being with us on Grassroots Marketing. Glad to have you on. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate it and look forward to tuning in. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.